Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. It's, you know, it's not uncommon on Chicago's Legal Latte for us to take a good look at a complex legal topic or take a topic and extend our look into some nuances or intricacies of that topic. Today, we're going to do something similar as we discuss the merging of two distinct legal circumstances. Uh, hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell. And while we have discussed a number of topics related to the dissolution of a marriage and on other occasions had conversations about guardianship for those who are uh, incapacitated mentally in some way uh, and prevent them from making legal decisions. Today we're going to discuss what happens when both those circumstances happen at once. Uh, joining me to provide guidance and, uh, of course, the appropriate legal perspective is Lavelle Law Attorney Michael Roth. Uh, we've got a lot to cover. Michael, good afternoon. Thanks for uh, joining us today. Well, Jim, thanks so much for having me. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, so let's right, let's do a quick baseline first. Um, can you can you give us uh, as we look back a quick definition of what we mean by guardianship and and how that process is handled in the court system? Absolutely. And you know, just kind of going a little further back in the years I've been practicing law, I've had a unique experience to um, practice in both arenas, both family law court and in probate court. So a guardianship um, is governed by the Illinois Probate Act, which is seven five five ILCS. So uh, guardianship is basically a legal process or a legal proceeding when one individual, usually a family member or a close friend, uh, petitions the court to determine, to have the court determine that that another individual, the respondent, uh, is unable to make health care and or financial decisions for themselves due to a disability. Um, and the court must find by clear and convincing evidence, that's their bear, the burden the petitioner must overcome, that a person is unable to manage his or her affairs effectively due to the disability. So typically how that happens is, just in a nutshell, is petitioner files a petition, and the date of the hearing, they provide the judge with a um, what we call in Cook County, a CCP 211. Other counties have different uh, verbiage, um, but it's basically a physician's evaluation saying, stating this person, due to this particular disability, is unable to manage their affairs, and they do require a guardian to help them with their financial and healthcare decisions. But it's also really important to note that a court will always take the least restrictive means possible, and that'll come into play a little later in our talk, that they'll, they'll limit the guardianship, they'll tailor the guardianship to only what the respondent will need. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's real, a real important distinction to, to keep in mind. But that's guardianship in a nutshell. Oh, real quick, Jim, I'm so sorry. Um, Just two Mm -hmm. distinctions important, but, you know, there's there's two types of guardians. And and, and most of the time, most people are appointed a a plenary guardian of the person in the estate. A guardian of the person is responsible for making health care residential decisions for the ward, and uh, the guardian of the estate is responsible for uh, uh, making uh, financial decisions, paying bills, those kind of things. And it's always really important to keep in mind, too, that the guardian has a fiduciary duty to act in the best interest of the ward at all times. And it's interesting you mention that because, you, and especially since you mentioned you've, you've sort of been in both of these worlds over your career, um, when we talk about someone who's in a marriage, um, what 
might cause that individual, if you've seen these cases, who's already in the marriage to suddenly or at some point become incapacitated. So injury, disease, uh, different things that might affect them as they have aged. Sure, absolutely. We see that a lot um, where, you know, people as they progress in, in age, um, uh, uh, they may suffer from dementia. And that obviously becomes more progressive and more pronounced as they become older. Um, strokes, um, uh, accidents, um, things like that. You know, no one has a crystal ball. So it's really important to, uh, just as a side note, to talk to an attorney at Lavelle Law about um, your powers of attorney putting those in place. So that's not relevant to our discussion today, but I just want to plant a seed there. Um, so that's how we see this happen. Um, and, and, and someone files a, a dissolution of marriage petition um, seeking for a divorce, and uh, either prior to or during the process, one of the parties is incapacitated. And mm -hmm. let's say the, the other party doesn't want the divorce, and they contest it. Um, and they basically, one, one of the points that they'll, that they'll raise is this person doesn't have capacity to make these decisions. They can't enter into the actual divorce agreement because entering into marriage is actually a contract and mm -hmm. entering into a divorce is the same thing and you need a contractual capacity to do so so after you file the, there, there's a couple important uh, contracts that you actually execute before the divorce is finalized and one is the marital settlement agreement and a marital settlement agreement is a common referred to as the MSA deals with all of the financial issues debts between the parties, um, marital, uh, um, uh, marital property, marital assets. Um, and then the next contract, if there's minor children involved, is the joint parenting agreement. And that deals with uh, visitation, things of the like, whereas the MSA would then deal with child support, maintenance, um, who's going to pay for health care benefits, those kind of things. And if you don't have contractual capacity and there's no, there's no guardian in place, well, now we've got to get the probate court involved and appoint a guardian to act on your behalf in those dissolution proceedings. So let's, let's talk about a, a situation, a dissolution situation, as you've mentioned. Uh, a married couple, uh, one of them uh, incapacitated, or at least uh, appears to be so, and perhaps uh, suspect in, in their ability to, to handle the dissolution. Would, would the spouse uh, request a guardian for them, or might it be a family member says, hey, this, this person isn't capable of handling this, I'm going to step in, I'm going to request a guardian. Is it an outside party that would maybe take these steps to get the guardianship in place? Absolutely. Um, and, and a lot of times we see it's actually a child an adult child mm -hmm. of, the, of the individual. Um, a lot of the cases that I handle where we're going through divorce, and God, you know, one of the, uh, my client will have a stroke um, and they, they, they lack capacity to, to make these decisions and it's really apparent or, or perhaps some sort of dementia has set in, um, Alzheimer's, um, where they just, you know, they just don't have the ability to make these decisions. A lot of times child will step in, uh, brothers or sisters or, or, or parents. Um, senior who are seniors themselves sometimes will step in they'll petition the guardianship court we'll explain to the judge the probate judge here's what's going on um, a lot of times we'll see the other party um, the other spouse contesting that saying no 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 even if you have a guardian that guardian does not have standing legal standing to step into the shoes of the disabled adult um, that's under the old rule, and then we could, we could spend a little bit of time how that law has changed significantly in the public policy reasons behind it. Yeah, and I'd like to do that. We're, we're talking to uh, Attorney Michael Roth of, of LaBelle Law today, and 
Um, if you haven't met Michael, you can do so uh, at least online at lavellelaw.com. Get his profile, and you're going to find articles, podcasts, videos, a number of different uh, sources of content that uh, Michael has contributed um, and a great new site. They've done some work there. It's very easy to navigate and just a ton of content. A lot of great things for you there. Um, so, so take a little time to get acquainted with Michael through LavelleLaw.com. Now, let's let's talk about a, a guardian, and uh, there's so many roads I could go down here. But let's say the guardian does get appointed. What what capacity do they have? I mean, what what can they do? What role can they fill? Can they contest the, the divorce? Can they represent and negotiate the, the terms just as as a party would? I mean, what is the the breadth of their their ability in this case? Well, great question. You know, they really, if it's a plenary guarding of the person in the, the estate, um, and we leave it that way where there's no limitations um, set forth in the order appointing the guardian, um, they can really do anything. They can make any decisions on behalf of the ward um, after the appointment of the respondent's called the ward, um, as long as they're acting in their best interest and with due care and loyalty. Um, so a lot of times you'll see, um, well, you'll see the marital settlement agreement will actually need to be approved by the probate judge before it's presented to the, tri- the, the family law judge, um, and, and they then move forward for prove-up, and prove-up is the actual divorce proceeding where both parties stand in front of the judge. They've asked questions. They go through the marital settlement agreement, and then uh, just like you were married, they kind of um, um, he blesses the, 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 uh, uh, the, the break of the union. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, but uh, so it, 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 with regard to capacity with the guardian, um, they it, under the old rule, it was it, it, they were seen that not having standing, not being able to jump into the shoes of the uh, of the disabled adult who wants the divorce or doesn't want the divorce and wants to contest it. Well, now that rule has changed, and um, um, actually the um, case that came through the the Illinois Supreme Court is Carbon v. Carbon. Um, it, it, just to give you a quick kind of 30,000-foot view of the case, mm-hmm. you know, the couple was married in 84. Wife suffered brain damage in a car accident in 97. The husband was appointed the guardian. And then in 04, um, about seven years later, husband was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and could no longer care for his wife that, that had a profound traumatic brain injury. Um, he then filed a petition for divorce in Cook County. Um, the guardian... Uh, his daughter actually became guardian of his wife um, because his husband wasn't able to do any more due to the Parkinson's diagnosis, and uh, the guardian filed a counterpetition. So you can see how all of this is happening. My gosh, mm-hmm. the, 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 the discord between the family members and how difficult this is, especially if you're a practitioner and the judge, and in this case judges, trying to you know, do what's right, trying to, trying to uh, um, help all the parties out and, and trying to resolve these issues. So it can be quite complicated, and, and then you've got emotion involved. You've got mom and dad, now you've got child trying to help both of them, and now child has to help mom because she's the guardian. Um, it, can be, it can be quite complicated and, and, and quite draining emotionally for the parties and for the lawyers. Um, but pursuant to Carbon v. Carbon, who basically took a, a kind of another look at it, not, not just a rigid look at it, they said if a guardian is put in place and is able to make um, – very uh, uh, personal decisions, such as end-of-life decisions for the ward, such as um, uh, um, uh, decisions with regard to sterilization, if that's appropriate at some point. Now, obviously, we're not talking about that here, but those Mm -hmm. types of decisions, um, decisions with regard to selling real estate, filing bankruptcy, making financial decisions, why can't this individual now make a decision with regard 
to a dissolution of marriage proceeding. So Carbon basically turned the whole thing around and stated, per our Illinois, per the ruling, uh, per the Illinois Supreme Court, is that now the guardian is able, had, does have standing to act on behalf of the ward during the dissolution proceeding, not only to file the proceeding, but actually, even if it's been initiated before the incapacity was came about uh, and actually then see the rest of the process through. But there's a lot of cooperation then between the, the probate court and the family law court. Um, but but this, is, this was a very good holding for folks with disabilities who were in relationships that they didn't want to be in, whether it was due to some sort of abuse, um, irreconcilable differences, neglect, Whatever it may be, now they have, they have the ability to get out of this marriage where before carbon they could not do that. And, and you mentioned a few things there. I'd love to get into a moment. We've only got about two minutes left here, and I, I do want to ask you timing. Uh, because you at the beginning of the, the conversation you mentioned something I wanted to get to, which is we talk frequently on these podcasts about uh, powers of attorney, uh, assigning people to be responsible for you in the future if you need them. Um, so if that were to have been done, and, and we're encouraging people to do that, then would that person who's already been designated step in as the guardian, or does it have to be a separate instance related to this specific case? It's a great question. In fact, I just did a consult where someone asked me that same exact question. The power of attorney <laughs> for property should actually – uh, the agent under the power of attorney for property should, a, should be able to act on behalf of the principal subsequent to an incapacity of the principal in a dissolution proceeding. Um, I have frankly never handled that type of uh, divorce, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but per the act, per the power of attorney act, um, uh, there should be no issue with that. And uh, then briefly, um, once, uh, let's say that they, are, they handle the, the dissolution of the marriage, uh, that gets taken care of, obviously the person survives, does the guardian have ongoing duties then, or is it simply assigned by the court for that specific action? Really great question. Um, the guardian of the estate will always have those ongoing duties. So, for example, if uh, the guardian of the estate's uh, ward um, is uh, ordered per the marital settlement agreement, to pay child support or maintenance or there's any lingering financial issues, the guardian of the estate would handle those and obviously would do care and do loyalty. Just like in a regular guardianship proceeding where we have no divorce issues whatsoever, a guardian of the estate annual will be required to file accountings with the court annually. Um, So there's judicial oversight to ensure that the ward's funds are being spent for the benefit of the ward. Um, They'll also have to file an annual report, which basically talks about uh, any therapies, um, how the, uh, where's, where's the ward residing, um, what type of, of, of medical services they're receiving, um, just the overall kind of health of the, of the ward, how they are socially, um, any type of activities they're involved with. The judge wants to see all that once a year, just to make sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. So yes, there are lingering duties for a guardian in, uh, subsequent to a divorce, as there are um, throughout the, the ward's life as the guardian is, 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 is their appointment is still uh, pending. Or, excuse me, as they... Well, and I just, I'm sorry, we uh, lost Michael there. We're trying to wrap up here. Uh, Michael, thanks very much for joining us today. And uh, obviously a lot more that we need to talk about. So let's, uh, uh, once again, share the number, 847 
uh, LavelleLaw.com, another place to reach out to Michael, and uh, I think we'll have him back shortly for another uh, another look at this and uh, other complex issues that he handles at Lavelle Law. Thanks very much for listening. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.